Some big games in the NBA last night as the Celtics took on the 76ers and the Jazz took on the Warriors. I'll recap everything you need to know. And Trevor Booker joins the show to give you the player's perspective on the NBA trade deadline, give you his big winner, and then we talk all-star game. Any way to improve things? Who are the biggest snubs? We cover it all in the Wednesday edition of Locked On NBA. Let's go. You are Locked On the NBA. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome to the Wednesday edition of Locked On NBA, the number one daily podcast covering everything going on around the association. On Wednesday, I'm your host, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter and host of the Locked On Pelicans podcast. Flying solo today as John Corrales, host of the Locked On Celtics podcast, was unable to make it because he was actually there in Philadelphia covering the big game between the Sixers and Celtics. We'll touch on that, but we've got to get through the other games first in the segment we call Too Long, Didn't Watch. Let's just jump right on into everything. First up, we've got the Los Angeles Lakers falling to the Atlanta Hawks 117-113 despite 28 points, 16 assists, 11 rebounds from LeBron James in 43 minutes, putting up a triple-double in the loss there. Neither team shot well in this one. Both teams shooting under 44% from the field, and the Hawks were just able to eke out enough offense to get the win. John Collins finished with 22 points on the night. Trey Young finished with 22 points, 14 assists for Atlanta in the victory. Then we had one of the two big games of the night with the Boston Celtics beating the Philadelphia 76ers, getting that key road victory, 112-109. This one was close basically throughout the second half. You had Boston leading, then you had Philly go on a run to take the lead. Then Boston surged back, took it, held on to it for good. You had Joel Embiid putting up seven points in the final three minutes to keep this one really close for the Philadelphia 76ers, just not able to get it done. Boston had six turnovers on the night. That's going to be pretty tough to beat compared to 14 for the Philadelphia 76ers. Gordon Hayward off the bench put up 26 points. He hit six threes in this one to lead the Celtics. You had Al Horford putting up 23 as well. And then Jason Tatum going for 20 and 10 for the Philadelphia 76ers. Joel Embiid led the way with 23 points. He had 22 for Jimmy Butler. Just falling a little bit short in this one. Then we had another close game on the night with the San Antonio Spurs eking out a one-point victory over the Memphis Grizzlies, 108-107. Memphis led, for the most part, in the first half in this one before the Spurs came roaring back. Then you had this weird situation, almost a choke job, I dare say, here at the end of the game. Down two, Jaron Jackson Jr. of the Grizzlies was fouled, goes to the line to tie the game up, misses the first one. So you got to miss the second one, right? After you get that down two here, you got to get the ball back, maybe get a tip in to tie it up. He goes for the long miss and accidentally 
banks it in, giving the the ball back to the Spurs, basically game over at that point. The Grizzlies lose 107-108 because of the missed free throw, then accidentally making the other one in. LaMarcus Aldridge led the way for the San Antonio Spurs, 22 points, 11 assists, or sorry, 11 rebounds in this one. Patty Mills off the bench also had 22 points. The star for the Memphis Grizzlies was Avery Bradley in this one. 33 points, career high for him. 15 of 21 from the field, 71.4%. Pretty good. Jaron Jackson Jr., just nine points on the night. Rookie coming back down a little bit. That was a rough ending for him, but it cost and it cost him the game. And the Spurs get the win by a point. Finally, we get to a game that wasn't close and unfortunately went the opposite way that I would have liked with the Orlando Magic grabbing a 118-88 win over the New Orleans Pelicans while on the road, too, for the Magic. This one was pretty rough for the Pelicans, who shot under 40% from the field. Anthony Davis still playing for the team despite the trade request. He was one of nine from the field Three points overall in just 24 minutes. New Orleans couldn't get anything going offensively. Basically, the Magic starters looked good. Jonathan Isaac, 20 or, uh, twenty points. Aaron Gordon, 20 points. Ruzovic, 25 points. Evan Fournier, 22 points. And yeah, we don't need to spend much more time talking about this one. We can move on to the final game of the night, the one everyone was waiting for, the Golden State Warriors at home against the Utah Jazz. A one 115-108 win for the Warriors. You had Utah surge ahead at the end of the third, taking the lead. And then halfway through the fourth quarter, the Warriors did Warriors thing. Steph Curry went, I think as they said on players only, into kill mode and went on a 20-4 run where they basically had anything they wanted, hit some threes, and then quickly buried the Utah Jazz. Not much you can do when that team turns it on quite like that. Steph Curry, 24 points on the night. Klay Thompson, 22. Big news for here is he hurt his hand. It looked dislocated. I don't think we have an injury update just yet. He had to leave the game. Hopefully he'll be okay. Kevin Durant also with 28 points on the night, including a one-legged Dirk impression for the Utah Jazz. Donovan Mitchell tried to get it going, started to at the start of the fourth quarter. 25 points on the night for him. Rudy Gobert had 13 points, 16 boards. Then you had Royce O'Neal putting up 13 off the bench and Ricky Rubio chipping in 16. But man, when the Warriors are shooting like that, not a whole lot you can do. The Jazz weren't able to overcome it and they lose 115-108. And that is what we call the too long, didn't watch recapping the night of action in the NBA, giving you everything you need to know. And if you're looking to keep up with everything going on around the association, it gets no better than right here on the Locked On NBA podcast, Monday through Friday, recapping the biggest stories the day after they happen, making you a smarter and up-to-date basketball fan. So please make sure you listen and subscribe to the Locked On NBA podcast. Joining me now on the Locked On NBA podcast, we've got some insight and analysis you're not going to get anywhere else. NBA player Trevor Booker is kind enough to spend a couple of minutes with me talking all things NBA. Trevor, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me. No, of course. So we're still in the aftermath of everything from the NBA trade deadline. Just, you know, with your perspective on everything, is there any immediate winners or losers that jump out to you with some of the deals that got done? Um, just thinking back on the deals, 
Um, one big trade that's well, one big team that stood out to me. It was pretty accurate during the trade deadline was uh, Philly. I think they made some really bold moves and some great moves, you know, to improve their chances of getting to the finals. Um, even though they lost tonight to Boston, uh, you, you still have to look at their team. And, you know, if you look at the roster, you really like them, you know, to be you know, in, in the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, but, of course, it's going to be a tough road when you got Boston and Toronto, Milwaukee um, up there. You know, and possibly Indiana that could, you know, survive without Vic, uh, which they're doing a good job of right now. Um, but that's the biggest, you know, team that stood out to me. Yeah, I mean, that move for um, as I, Tobias Harris, there we go, it was bold. They kind of still don't have, a, I guess, the most depth there, but their starting five when J.J. Redick is your worst player has got to be worth something. And also, it seems like they can stagger those lineups a little bit better. And what, they won? The, uh, they killed the Nuggets and the Lakers with their first two games. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, the first two games, they, they looked pretty good. Uh, Boston played a you know a heck of a game tonight, um, even you know without Kyrie. Um, but you know somebody's going to have have to sacrifice with that Philly team. I'm not sure who it is, but um, it'll be interesting to see if you know if somebody uh, ends up you know going to the media and saying they're not happy um, because somebody's that a couple of players you know they're going to have to sa- sacrifice. So, you know, when people are unhappy, is that kind of just like the first go-to move? Is there a better way to approach it within the team? Or, you know, as a player, what do you kind of look to do to maybe improve those situations? Because we're partially seeing it a little bit with Boston too, right? Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, I I think it's a little different with the Boston situation. I think players, I think, you know, the players on their team, they realize that, you know, they're not playing the right way. They're not, you know, saying that they're frustrated with their role or anything, um, you know. But, you know, what I'm saying about Philly is I think some players, you know, I'm not going to say that they are going to do it, but if it doesn't work, I could see some players coming out. Well, you know, Jimmy Butler already did it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> saying that he wasn't happy with his role. Um, so th- that's what I was talking about. But Boston, um, you know, they they haven't played up to their potential. And, you know, the players are, are frustrated and, you know, and, and they're going to the media about it. Yes. So when you look at that Boston team and they did win tonight, is it that you have some of those younger guys and th- this kind of came out today that, you know, maybe Jason Tatum would like to be the face of New Orleans and get a fresh start. And they felt just really good after making it to game seven of the East finals last year. And now you put Kyrie Irving back into this, you put Gordon Hayward back into this and some of the guys got to defer a little bit more. And that's kind of what's caused some of this, or are there larger fit issues there in Boston? Um, you know, I, I, I honestly think they have so much talent that um, it's just not enough balls to go around. They have, you know, <laughs> a lot of, a lot of talent. And, you know, everybody, you know, they're not getting the shots that they, that they need to, you know, produce at times. Um, but if they ever figure, you know, figure it out, man, watch out. They're going to be a scary team to watch. Um, you know, they're already, they're already fun, you know, with the amount of talent that they have. Um, but, you know, I, I wouldn't mind seeing, you know, Jason Tatum, you know, in a New Orleans uh, uniform. Um, I think he would flourish better, you know, being the man, being the face of a franchise. 
Um, you know, don't get me wrong. Boston is a great franchise to be, you know, to be in. Uh, but, you know, I think the the system that he's in right now is more share the ball and, you know, play as a team. And Jason, you know, he's more of a, you know, one-on-one, you know, a tech-type player. And I think he would flourish a little bit more in, in a New Orleans system. I can tell you just for – since I'm the host of the Locked on Pelicans podcast, that's kind of the way, you know, all the fans here are hoping. So you're going <laughs> to energize them regarding that. So when when you look at – still keeping in the theme of all of that, when you look at the deals with the Lakers, uh, you know, what is it you'd be looking for in return for Anthony Davis? Was the, the Lakers trade of those five young guys plus two first-round picks enough? Or is it they just had to wait till the offseason so that Boston could get into the mix? Um, I think they did a, uh, the right thing by waiting, you know, waiting for the off season. It, it, you know, it depends on, on what Boston or New York told told them. They told them, you know, they would have a little bit more in the off season. Uh, they would like to talk a little bit more in the off season. You know, I, I would have waited too. I would, I don't see any rush on it. You know, Anthony has one more year on his contract. Um, I mean, was it hard to pass up? You know, they did all those players at the Lakers. You know. Um, try to give up, uh, definitely. But at the end of the day, you just never know. Um, you know, somebody else might come in with a better offer this season because you don't know. You know what those players were thinking. Um, they might try to get bought out, or you know, they they might say they're not happy. You know, o- over the summer, and it's already it, it will already be tension. You know, Lonzo Ball, what Lavar Ball, he was already saying uh, that you know, Lonzo wasn't going to play in New Orleans. So, I mean, you have to get those, all of those players to buy in long term. And it'll, you know, be kind of scary to, to do. Yeah, uh, it's it's kind of funny to think of the fact that maybe LeVar Ball tanked that deal a little bit, which I think is some sort of irony there to that in in some capacity. So with a flurry of moves, and I think they said it was like the most trades ever on trade deadline day, that, you know, when people get excited about it, drives a lot of interest in the league, but there's a real human component to this that I think gets lost. You've been traded before. You know, how did you find out, and what did you have to do in the immediate aftermath of everything? Yeah. Last year was my uh, first year getting traded, so it was definitely different for me. Um, I was actually down in Mexico getting ready to play a game. Um, you know, I was in bed taking a nap. And my wife, she came in the room. She told me uh, to check my phone because she heard that I was, you know, being traded, but she didn't know how true it was. So she came in and woke me up. And, you know, I checked my phone and, you know, I had a couple of missed calls from, you know, team management. Um uh, and my manager at the time, and, you know, team management told me to come downstairs. So I was like, yeah, uh, it must be true. I must be getting traded. And I went downstairs. They let me know the news. Let me know that I was going to Philly. Um, we had a game that night in Mexico. I actually had to pack up and leave uh, about two hours later. Um, I left Mexico. Um, I went. I went to Houston. We were on a – we flew commercial to Houston. Uh, from Houston, we took a private jet, me and my wife, took a private jet to New York because I had to pack up. It gave me uh, um, a couple of hours to pack up so I can go to Philly. So that night, about 
probably about 2 a.m. I got into uh, into New York so I could pack a bag and head down to Philly. Uh, I had to be in Philly the next morning, well, that same morning. Um, at I think my flight left at 7 a.m. And I had a physical at 9, 9.30 a.m. Um, so that's pretty much how it went. It's just a, a you know, a whole bunch of moving around. You have to get ready that same day, get ready to go. Um, I had to leave my family in Brooklyn, uh, where they actually ended up moving down to Philly eventually. And then I got bought out, went to Indy, and I just ended up leaving them in, uh, in Philly. It's too much moving around with the kids. So, so that's what I wanted to ask. What was that side of thing? And the reason I bring it up is with Nikola Mirotich being traded to the Bucks. You know, uh, he had that kind of no trade clause somewhat in his deal with the Bulls, and he refused to accept a trade to New Orleans till they picked up that second year of his contract, so he would have some stability and his family life. You know, and how does that kind? Of, it's it seems like that's a tough balancing act for NBA players with the kind of uncertainty of what might happen in their careers and and even in during the season. Yeah, it's definitely uncertainty, but at the same time, you got to know you know what you're signing up for when you come into the league. You know, it comes with the territory, so you know you just got to go in knowing that you know once you you come into the league, you could be traded at any moment. You just have to be ready for it. You know, fortunately for me, I was only traded one time in my career. Uh, so, you know, it wasn't too bad. It's probably tougher on my family, uh, you know, more tough on my family than it was me. Yeah, and so, I don't know. I think also it's just interesting to think of the, like I said, the human component with it all. You also went through another interesting situation in the in Washington where you went through a midseason coaching change. You know, how did you find out about that, and what kind of went on in the immediate aftermath of it? Um, yeah, when you know Flip got fired and Randy Whitman uh, became the coach, you know, it was it was early in my career, so it was, it was definitely something new to me. Um, but we had a couple of veterans that you know helped everybody through it. it was, we we had a young team, um, but you know, a couple of veterans helped everybody through it. Uh, you know, luckily, Randy, he was already under um, under flip, so we just kept running the same thing. I mean, he put his touch on everything, but it wasn't, you know, too difficult. We were already familiar with Randy, so it made it a little bit easier. So, you know, it didn't – Did you often see, and you kind of saw it a little bit in Chicago with the team maybe like responding to that, winning some games really quickly. Uh, you saw it in Minnesota this year too. Do, do you get kind of like a jolt of energy during it, or is it just kind of just business as usual? Um, You know, some teams I think it's, it's just different depending on the team. Some teams, you know, it gives you a burst of energy, um, I guess, because uh, I don't know, you may – they get a little, you know, a little bit of hope. Some teams, you know, don't agree with, you know, some coaching styles or, or whatnot. But I think it all depends on the team. And so having those veteran leaders is very important with it all? Oh, yeah, definitely so. Because, you know, those veterans, they, they've been through more things than the, the younger players. So they could, you know, really help us through situations like that, especially, you know, if we haven't been through those situations.
Gotcha. Yeah, it's just interesting to hear that because you don't get that kind of perspective uh, very often with everything. So we've got the All-Star Game coming up this weekend, so we're going to shift gears in a minute. But I do want to let everyone know, if you're in the fantasy basketball playoffs, you need every advantage to win, get bragging rights over your friends, and win that pool of money. And there's no better way to do it than Josh Lloyd, host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, Monday through Friday, giving you the edge to win your league. So here with NBA player Trevor Booker talking all things trade deadline and the NBA. But we've got the All-Star game coming up. So, Trevor, when you look at the rosters, are there any snubs or anyone that shouldn't be on there, in your opinion? Um, I definitely think Rudy got snubbed. Um, no disrespect to LaMarcus Aldridge, but uh, Rudy should have definitely made it over him. I mean, LaMarcus is a great player, but Rudy definitely should have made it over him. Uh, for one, he's the best defensive player in the league. Um, and two, you know, he's, uh, I mean, he could score the ball. He's not a scorer, but he still puts the ball in the basket. I mean, I know what, that's what fans like to see, but uh, Rudy definitely got, he, he definitely got snubbed. Um, in, the, in, in the East, I think Pascal Siakam, he should have made it, you know, over his teammate, Kyle Lowry. Kyle Lowry, that's the bigger name. But Pascal is their second best player this year. You know, he, he may not score as much as Kyle, but he's you know he's an energy player and he can put the ball in the bucket. You know, he plays harder than anybody in the league, and he definitely should have uh, made the All Star team this year. You know, you could you could make a case for Tobias Harris definitely, um, and Luca, um, but I, I just don't know who you would take off. Um, I think I, I would take off you know Clay for Luca. Clay is, you know, he's playing tremendous right now, but up to the, um, he, he started playing, you know, this way late to me. And I think Luca deserved a spot more, but I think because he's a rookie, he didn't, he didn't get denied. Or he could put Tobias Harris in that spot. Yeah, it, it definitely seems like the West is a little bit more stacked, I guess. And it, it, you feel kind of bad that Rudy Gobert was left out of there. And he kind of made in that speech, he said after the game, that you know where he was crying, which I get it. This is an emotional thing that, you know, it kind of shows the league doesn't prioritize defense as much as it does offense. But what do you think about uh, D'Angelo Russell in the East getting on there? Yeah, I mean... Um, D'Lo, he's having a tremendous season. Uh, I, I think he, he should have made it, you know. He, he's a reserve uh, because, you know, Vixen went down. Uh, so I, I think it was up to him and Jimmy Butler. And, you know, definitely D'Angelo should have, you know, got it. Um, Jimmy is an all-star, but just not this year. And so did you also like the move to make the honorary guys and throw Dirk and Wade in there too, just for the fans? I think that's an awesome move and just why not at this point? Yeah, definitely. So I think that was a a great call by whoever uh, did it or by the NBA. Um, Just having two better guys come in and be the honorary uh, all-stars. That's great. Um, I think they should do something like that for uh, the three-point contest too, you know, maybe have, you know, some of the older guys, uh, retired guys come back for you know three point contest and, and compete against the uh, the current guys. I think that you know it really boosts ratings up. What so what names are you throwing in there? Reggie Miller, who else? Reggie Miller, Ray Allen, um, you know maybe Michael Red. Um, who else? Ooh. 
Oh, that's, that's pretty good names you know, right there with it. It's a, yeah, it's, it's a few guys that could, you know, I'm, that I'm pretty sure could, could still shoot the ball. And, you know, you can have the old heads go against, um, go against each other, and then the current guys go against each other, and then, you know, they, you know, meet it in, at the end, the old versus the new. I mean, if you kind of throw – like, if you put Ray Allen in there, there's no way he finishes anything other than, saying like, the top third of it, right? Even, even now, even yeah. being out of the league for a while. Exactly. I mean, I'm sure he still has that uh, that sweet jump shot. I I love this idea. And I'm sure. I'm sure. And I'm, yeah, and I'm sure. You know, that will you know definitely boost the ratings and you know get people more excited about All Star Weekend just to see something like that. I mean, there's no reason not to do it. What about so? Let's let's translate it to the dunk contest. What if once Vince Carter retires, we just throw him in the dunk contest every year as an honorary guy? No need to rot- rotate it out. He can just do it until he can't dunk, which you know might not ever be the case. <laughs> yeah, I thought about that too, but you know Vince can't get up. He still can dunk, but he still he can't get up like he like he used to. It probably wouldn't be as fun. You might have to get a little trampoline out for him. <laughs> so, okay, I, look, I'd still watch that. I think I'd watch almost NBA, any NBA players trying to dunk with, with trampolines, and I kind of like this idea. You got the regular yeah. dunk contest, then we've got, like, the retired player dunk contest, but they get a trampoline, and maybe, I don't know, it's whoever gets the most tens. <laughs> there you go. That's an idea. There, you know, the NBA needs to listen to us more here. So... One of the big things that, that came out with all of this was the all-star voting and the impact that the fan voting came in. And you saw um, Anthony Davis not be a starter and losing out to Paul George a, a, with the fan voting be a tiebreaker. Do you like the way they go about it now? Or is there a better system here for them to kind of vote players into the all-star game? Yeah, I'm, I'm really not sure. I'm, I'm really not sure how they go about it. I know they let the fans vote, but at the same time, um, some of the guys that has the most votes, they don't get voted in. So I'm not sure how it works, how much the fan vote counts. Because if the fan vote, you know, counted a good bit, I'm pretty sure Dwayne Wade would have made, you know, the all-star team this year, not even being an honorary captain. Um, so I'm really not sure how that works. Yeah, it's got it's kind of like a mishmash of two things where the fan vote gets a percentage, then the players and the media votes get a certain percentage. And that's where you see things kind of skewed. Like, look, I love Luca. I don't know if he should have been in, in my opinion. And I think there's other guys, particularly in the West, that's more deserving. But he starts to get the nods and maybe it beats out other players. I think we saw it a couple years ago, too, where Zaza Pachulia had like the most votes out of all of the fan voting because yeah. all of his fans kind of rallied behind and like rigged the system to like stuff the ballot box and get him in there. Like, I don't know if that's kind of what the NBA wants. Yeah. I'm, I'm really not sure. Um, I think, you know, it's probably just to, you know, bring traffic to their website. Uh, I mean, which is, is, I'm sure is doing a great job, but I'm really not sure. Yeah. So, do you do you are you okay with the fans having that much of a say, or what do you think the like the the right amount of input would be? Um, I'm okay with the fans thinking that they have that amount that, that amount <laughs> of say. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's, it's bringing it's bringing revenue, so I, I don't you know mind it at all. Um, but I would like to you know go on the players' vote more. 
So, like, you think it should be the majority players because they're out there on the court seeing their peers. What about the media? How much input should they have into this whole process? Um, I definitely think, you know, the media should have, you know, a good say, a good amount of say, too. Um, you know, they watch the, the games every night. And, you know, uh, some of them, you know, really understand basketball. Some of them don't. Um, so I think, you know, they should have a, a good amount of say. So it's just about kind of trying to strike the the right balance with everything. And I think that's what everyone wants because there is some importance to this too. It does influence some of the contracts with that Derrick Rose rule. And if guys do or don't get voted in and impacts how much money they can make as a player who's whose livelihood could depend on this kind of thing, do you like that rule or do you think that maybe needs to be taken out? I mean, if they deserve it, I hope they get it. Um, you know, no matter if they, you know, can get an extra bonus or not. Um, I just want to see the people that deserve to make the all-star team, you know, make it. And I don't feel like that's always been the case. Yeah, especially, again, like we were talking the snubs, and that's not what you want to see from anybody. So before we wrap everything up here, let's let's maybe get a prediction or two. So we've got the slam dunk contest, which has Miles Bridges of Charlotte in there, John Collins of Atlanta. You've got uh, Diallo from Oklahoma City and Dennis Smith Jr. from the Knicks now. Who do you think is going to win? I think it's going to come down to Bridges and uh, DSJ. And I'm going to predict that um, being, a, being that Charlotte is my hometown, I'm going to go with Bridges. Okay, okay. so we we got him on there winning it. And what about the three-point contest? we got Devin Booker, Seth Curry, Steph Curry. You've got Danny Green, Joe Harris from the Nets, Buddy Heald from the Kings, Damian Lillard, Chris Middleton, Dirk's in there, which I kind of love seeing, and then Kemba in the hometown from the Hornets, who you've got in the three-point contest. Yeah, it's tough. Uh, Chris Middleton is my guy. Um who else was in it? Devin uh, Booker. Booker, Dev. both Curries. Joe, Joe Harris. Joe Harris is, is my guy. It's hard to root against those guys, uh, but I'm going to have to take, you know, Devin Booker. All right. If I had to pick one on this, I like Dennis Smith Jr. for the dunk contest. I like Buddy Heald for some reason in this three-point contest. I think he's been pretty good. But now we've got our predictions on the record here. Uh, Trevor, thank you so much for yeah, joining so, me so, here. So on I, the, side note, side note, Buddy yeah. Hill is playing tremendous this, this year. It's So we could talk about it. It's been so nice to see him like flourish, and it was so important for the Kings to get him to be a good player after that DeMarcus Cousins trade, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely so. Because people were bashing the Kings, you know, for making that trade. Um, but now, you know, the, the fans are loving it. He, he fits perfectly. He shoots well. He's playing kind of fast for him. And the Kings have been probably one of the most fun young teams to watch in the league this year. Yeah, definitely so. And I think they have a bright future, you know, with him and uh, De'Aaron Fox at the range. So I think, you know, they're going to be a, an exciting team, you know, uh, in the next, you now within the next five years. Which is wild to say, given how they've kind of been a little bit dysfunctional in the past. So to get them to this point where, like you said, the future looks really bright. I don't know if there's many young cores that aren't competing for the playoffs right now that I would pick over them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And they're in the West, so 
you know, they 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 have a you know a tougher schedule than some of the guys, you know, that some of the young teams that's in the East, and you know they're competing every night, and you know and playing well. Yeah, absolutely. So they're fun to watch, and I've, that's why I got Buddy healed. At least he spent some time here in New Orleans um, in the three-point shootout because I hope he does well. So we'll see how it goes, though. we got this coming up over the weekend, and it's going to be a lot of fun, and I think Charlotte's a great city to have this in. Trevor, thanks so much for joining me here on the Locked On NBA podcast today. All right, thanks for having me. All right, that's going to do it for the Wednesday edition of Locked on NBA. Again, big thanks to Trevor Booker hopping on, giving us the player's perspective that you can't get anywhere else other than here on the Locked on NBA podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, the number one daily podcast, giving you everything you need to know. As always on Wednesdays, I'm your host, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter, host of the Locked on Pelicans podcast, and I'll see you all next week.